I'm sitting here with Gillian and Megan, two of our foster carers. And um, what we're going to be talking about is coming into fostering by other family members or friends who also were already fostering. Because we have quite a few people in our service who've ended up coming into fostering because they already know somebody who is doing it. Before I start, now I know I know Gillian's sort of in transit. Hopefully we'll be able to hear you, Gillian. So who, yeah. who came who came into fostering first? Um, well, I would say I we adopted um, our fourth child, so he's kind of classed as fostered. Um, so maybe I would say we'll start with that, which was maybe uh, about seven years ago. So you so started was, fostering at about seven years ago? Yes. So I would say he was the first in our family unit who was placed in our family. Okay. And how, how was it when you first talked about fostering in your wider family what what was their reaction to that um for me personally everyone was a bit shocked because we already had birth children they maybe didn't really understand why we wanted to do it or why we wanted to have more children so maybe there was a wee bit of a wee bit of that you know they were very supportive but with maybe a wee bit of why 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 would you do this so I can imagine that's quite a common response. And I'm wondering how you explain fostering to family members who perhaps haven't thought about it before. Um, So for fostering, after we had adopted then, we decided that we were going to foster. And we just, by that point in time, we had peer friendships for people who also fostered and adopted and we knew there was a great need for fostering so we just explained to our wider family circle that we felt this is something that we could do and by that point we had adopted a boy and everybody was on board everybody knew kind of what it was about and everybody by that point was okay so it it wasn't it wasn't such a big stretch to go from adopting to fostering. And Megan when did you come into fostering but you probably should explain what your relationship is with Gillian actually (laughs) yes so I'm Gillian's sister-in-law my husband is Gillian's brother so for me we started our process just after Gillian had her first placement placed with them we'd kind of chatted about it for about two years probably the same sort of time they were coming into fostering following their adoption it was the assessment that we were delaying doing if I'm really honest it's obviously very intrusive and very personal and it was that that my husband didn't want to do so it was during Gillian and Anders adoption and then again during their fostering assessment I referenced for them both times as a family reference so we were able to see up close what that looked like Uh, I think for us we knew what to expect we knew how great the need for new foster carers was and still is and we knew what trauma can look like so the reality of how parenting a different child parenting a looked after child with trauma compared to parenting our birth children was we obviously seeing the support that they were getting off Bernardo's at the time and we knew but really we knew from the second we applied that this was for us because we had spent so long considering it and we were able to see then how accepting our family was and the support that we would have. So we knew from the get-go that we were going ahead. 
when Gillian was, uh, Gillian and Anders were adopting, what, what, what was your feelings when you first heard about that? When Gillian and Anders were adopting, I won't say that I was ever surprised. Her children were all very little. Their children are very little and were one year apart, all three of them. So I think it was the timing rather than the situation that we were surprised at. I was pregnant with our last birth child. So obviously the timing for us, we it was just at the back of our minds. It always was. Um, I personally was raised by my mum and my mum's mum, my granny, and my granny was in foster care as a child. Um, she was actually in foster care with Bernardo's and she was moved from Northern Ireland to England into a foster home. And my granny passed away a couple of years ago when she was 98 and she only ever had nice things to say and was very grateful for her experiences with Bernardo's. It was always in our minds that we would foster just when. I was interested to hear, because we've talked before, Megan, haven't we, about the assessment process. And actually, we just did a podcast with Ben about the assessment process because it's it's so difficult to understand it from the outside. What was it about the process? You said it was it, it felt quite invasive, which is understandable because we, we're obviously doing a lot of safeguarding when we're looking at applicants. But what was it that reassured you enough to feel that the pair of you could could carry on and 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 come into fostering? I think it was never reassurance. It was just knowing the need that was there and knowing that it was something we wanted to do. So at the time when we initially applied, we had said, you know, this is for us and this is our commitment. It's now or never and we'll take it one week at a time was really our sort of opinion coming in. Our assessment definitely was not as bad as we had built it up to be in our mind. We had a great relationship with our social worker who had done our assessment. It It is intrusive. It is invasive. It's every aspect of your life from as far back as you can remember. But it it kind of feels like you're chatting to a friend by the time you get to that point instead of be, doing an interview, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Megan, and I want both of you to sort of respond to is you say you understood what trauma looks like in children, children who have have dealt with attachment issues, who've been through incredible difficulties. And I often wonder how parenting a child who is not your child, who has experienced trauma, how that might look different to parenting your own child and I was wondering about how important it must be to have people in your family who understand that um can I just add a wee bit um just on your 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 subjects before there before we talk about that um I remember very specifically a time where um Matthew my brother um looked at my son who was being adopted and said we could do this now Megan absolutely knew she has that personality she could do that in a in a heartbeat wouldn't wouldn't even have been a question in her mind would she be able to do it but I think for Matthew seeing it play out now Matthew has a connection to my son um in that he was one of his best friend's nephews so we were we had booked to go to Florida it was just after we booked to go to Florida um and it was his it was my son's first time up going on holiday 
And he think the magnitude of seeing my son living a happy life made him realize that that is something he could do. So he had his birth children and he, and he obviously he loved them. Um, and then seeing that play out in reality for him, I think added to his um, working it out all in, in his in his head, if that makes sense. I think for the actual assessment process for most men, opening up and talking about their feelings and their past and how their upbringing impacts their day-to-day life and all that kind of stuff, they aren't really going to want to do that. So that is one of the biggest hurdles. And it's not, nothing changes your mind of that because it's still hard when you're committing to do that and trying to not talk your partner into it, but and nearly playing it down that it won't be a big deal. You have to just grin and bear it. It's worth it in the end, all those things. But then when you get into the habit of it, it, it works out that it's okay. But I don't know. What what do you think about that, Megan? Do you remember that I situation think, at all? Um, do you remember? I, don't, I don't remember him saying it, but I do know that he spent a lot of years, like a long period of time saying, I just don't think I could ever love another child the same way I love my own birth children and it's not fair to bring another child to our house and not love them like I love my birth children so we spoke about that during our assessment and really our social worker chatted about you don't have to you're not expected to you're offering them a safe home you're still offering them your love you're not expected to feel the same. You will always feel differently, whether it is, no matter what the difference is. But I think very quickly we could see that Gillian and Anders didn't feel different when their son joined them. And within six months of him living there, they loved him just like he had been there forever. And we all did. We all loved him as our nephew, just like our other nieces and nephews that had already been there. We come from a very large family. On Matthew and Gillian's side, there is over 20 grandchildren. So it's not just me and Gillian that have large families. There has always been a lot of children in our family. So to see that nobody in our family felt any differently towards him. He did have trauma. He didn't want touched. He didn't really want to be around people for period of a couple of months when he first joined so it obviously took time you know they took their own time to settle him into their family before our family is full-on and it is massive and it and it is a lot for a lot of people so it does and it's the same for us you know when we have new children living with us we have to take a period of time of it being just us regardless of what that time is I think that's very important because for children who have experienced early trauma and who've had difficulties in their birth family, it's not only that they're coming in with perhaps hyperarousal or hypervigilance, but they're also having to confront loss. And if they're coming into a family who are big and loud and happy and, you know, it might be wonderful to be a part of that, but there's also probably going to be feelings of frustration and disappointment and anger and bitterness that actually they didn't have that initially. They're going to have to deal with complicated feelings about where they fit into that and why they didn't have that in the first place and might not even know that that is something they're responding to. I'm just wanting to come back to that whole thing about how trauma sometimes presents in families and how important it is 
for families to be sensitive to presenting behaviours that might seem surprising or be read differently. So some of the children in our family have food issues, like my son cannot do a buffet. He overeats, he overthinks it, it stresses him out, he can't do it. So we've had other children um, through Megan's house who have the same types of trauma symptoms. Um, like Megan had said, my son didn't want to be touched for a period of time and still might struggle with that type of thing as well. So I think depending on the child's trauma as to how we respond to each individual child, because they're all also different. My foster daughter at the minute has no attachment trauma. She is treated typically, as it were. Not to say that won't arise in the future when she gets in their teenage years. But for right now, that's what it is. So I think with the trauma and fostering trauma and attachment trauma, it's very easy for us to be in each other's company with our children because we get it. I will tell you a funny story. We have, we stay in Gillian's house once a month. We have a bedroom and our children have a bedroom that they share. And we stayed over when we had a little girl who was placed with us in the past. And we were in the living room watching TV, just adults. And she got out of bed and ate half a packet of biscuits out of Gillian's cupboard. Now, she was a toddler, like she was not very old. But in somebody else's company, you might feel like you need to explain that. Or there might be a guilt around your child doing that. Or they may see it as a bad behaviour. But at that time, it was Gillian who had heard somebody in the kitchen, got up, thought it was one of her children and had seen her and diverted her to me. And that's the end of it. You know, there is no, there's no stigma. There's no nothing following that. And it's the same for, we have a sibling group with us at the minute who are both age four and under. And they often speak about their birth mum. And Gillian will say, about her foster daughter, her other mummy bought her that or her mummy bought that or and they will happily say, I'm going to see my mummy and it's just, it's not hidden and it's open. It's an understanding throughout all of our children. Between our two families, we have 10 children. So there is a lot of us and even the teenagers will understand if they're saying my mummy bought that and will show an excitement on their level of them being excited to show it. Yeah. Just that understanding between the children of many other birth parents involved in the situation. You know, I'm going to see my birth mum or birth dad bought that or um, there's an understanding between the children, between the parents. It just makes things much easier. Like once there was a little girl who was placed with Matthew and Megan and it was near right at the start of the placement and she was kind of referring to everybody as mummy, you know, and that. If you were a regular auntie or uncle, that's lovely. So the child that we had that was calling everybody mummy, that was on the school run in the shopping centre. My family, Matt's family, her own family, male, female, it was everybody. And for that to be maybe your birth niece, you would think, oh, she sees me like a mummy. Whereas Gillian would have, if she came running and said, mummy, diverted her. You're repeatedly replacing your own name. So they learn different people by different names. So what Gillian was doing was distracting the child and you were all reminding the child of your name. Yes. yes. So all of my children call call Gillian and the So if she was maybe saying, 
mummy, 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 I need. She'll say, Auntie JJ's, okay. Do you know, it's not a big deal, just replacing the name and continuing to do what she wants. And within a period of a couple of months, she was able to call them and recognise them by their name and that Gillian and Anders play a major role in all of our children's lives, as do we in their children's. Um, we are in each other's company. We holiday together. We, She's the first person I phone if I need help. And I know that for other people that might be their mum, but I know for Gillian it is the same. And it's, it is the understanding, you know. People who don't understand might be very dismissive of or disapproving of of how we respond. But actually, in your world, you have two big families who are hanging out together. And actually, not only do you all understand that these presenting behaviours have underlying reasons for them, but the yeah. children also have very normalised experiences of other children who have birth mothers and foster mothers and adoptive parents. And there seems to be a really good dynamic between all of the, the they family members. Do. They definitely do. It is definitely on an age-appropriate basis. Yes. Let's go back to Gillian. Gillian, we lost you for a second. The only thing that I wouldn't mind just following up, what you were saying there about working with Megan's foster daughter, who was calling you mummy, and Megan was yes. just explaining that you'd divert divert her attention but also remind her what your name was i think the first week we established her attachment yes that primary attachment not to be to us because we're in their lives a lot you know making sure that the attachment was strongest with them rather yeah. than and it, and it was lovely it's lovely for them to do that but also the most important thing is recognizing that they need to be attached to matthew and megan primarily and to yes. just keep keep that diversion. I remember when um, our son first came to us, he would have held, he was only a, a, like a baby in your arms and he would have held his arms out to literally anybody, like I was the cashier at the till. And just diverting that and hugging him in or moving him onto the other hip so as to, it's that over friendliness that some children can have. Yes. Um, and it's diverting that so that you're making the sure, secure attachment with the right people. Um, initially I'm just doing that with ease you know it's not yeah. talked about it's not thought about it's just something that we both recognize and it goes on saying I think the more training we have as well you know they're training they're nice that Megan's been the training and it's been specifically about one of my children or oh, there's been ADHD training that I've been to that's specifically for one of her children you know yeah. so I think we support each other in that way as well but we do surround ourselves. Like I have friends who have adopted and are just have a new placement. And we build each other up and understand each other in a way that other people don't. Um, on the surface, it's great to have such supportive family, you know, and really do mean that. Um, but when you have somebody else in your family who fosters and who fosters as well, it just gets things that don't, don't even need to be said. You know, and we vent each other. Like there are weeks that we'll have to see each other nearly every weekend as parents because that's our venting and our sanity. Is I've had a hard week. This is the behaviours we're dealing with, um, and it's not even always for advice. It's just to say it out loud, you know, to somebody else who really truly understands, with no judgment attached. The only thing that I didn't chat about is that 
you had mentioned a question about do you lean on each other? And we'd obviously yes. talked about that a little bit. Um, but Gillian and Anders have offered, they've done respite for us. Um, they have, like last week, they babysat for us at the drop of a hat and we were at the NI Fostering Awards, myself and that, and vice versa. Their, their child that they foster is medically complex and she's spent long since in hospital. And I have been able to stay with her overnight and offer them one night together where, you know, she was in hospital for a period of three months straight without being out. So there definitely is practical support as well as a lot of emotional support. Um, but it offers my looked after children the same experiences as my birth children. So they can be babysat with the same people. They can have a sleepover at their auntie's house instead of going to respite. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. That makes um, absolute sense. They get they get the same experiences and the same, not treated differently and not, it's just not known. Do you know what I mean? We would never say we need respite. It would be we're going out tonight and Auntie Gillian is babysitting rather than, and we have used other respite we have before, um, but in the short term and with our children being so little, that's obviously not ideal. So it is nice to have vice versa, even if that is a, a two-hour cinema trip, you know. Yes, and, you know, imagine if we were using the word respite with our own family members, with our birth children. You know, it's 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 a very difficult clinical term. It's rather, hard. And, it's, and it doesn't help a child, I imagine, feel. No, I definitely don't. So, and I think... Gillian and Anders are the only people that I would leave my birth children with. So I know that they have experience in that one of their own children has ASD and has a genetic condition, their birth children. Um, they have experience in trauma, they have experience in, and I know that's reciprocated in the terms that we have babysat for them while they have went to a wedding abroad. Um, we have so it's it's nice to feel like you're not a bird a burden on somebody else you know you don't feel bad for wanting to do it right well look I want to thank you so much for talking to me this morning it was nice chatting to you thank you so much Megan I really appreciate it I'll be in touch thank you speak to you later bye